Hello, everyone. We are so excited to have industry leader Rebecca Minkoff on the Style That Binds Us podcast today. She is the founder of global brand Rebecca Minkoff, as well as the Female Founder Collective and recent author of Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. We so admire Rebecca because she is self-made. She came to New York City with no college degree, no capital investment, and no connections. And she has done so much in the past 20 years. So thank you so much for being here, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are excited to chat. Let's start right away with the recent book launch. We cannot wait to read it. What are some of the top takeaways that you want people to have after reading? I think the most important thing and why I called it fearless was I didn't expect anyone to read the book and walk away with this false idea that you'll never have fear. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to taking risks in business or personal life, you're going to have fear. And, And my goal with the book is that these small little guideposts are there that when you do get scared, you know, you remember you have something stable to fall back on and they're simple rules easy to remember, trusting your gut. If you fail, you've always learned something. Success sometimes is just dependent on being able to get back up and keep going after mm-hmm. after a big smack in the face. And so I think that it's stuff people forget in those dark moments. And my hope is that, you know, these are little reminders that enable someone to keep going. We all need that. So many people have certainly needed that in the last year or so. A hundred percent. It's been quite, you know, I feel fear has been marketed to everybody, you know, so much that now everyone's living in it all the time. I think so too. I think everybody's living on high alert. You know, (laughs) it's like someone said to me, I wish we would have one day where we weren't making history, you know, totally. Well, let's talk about 10th house and the female founder collective and how you came up with that idea and how it has morphed into what it is today. Yeah. So really back in 2018, I felt lonely as a founder, but I was also getting equally frustrated with the echo chamber that was women complaining, rightfully so, about the wage gap, the pay inequities, um, but all this complaining and all of us, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about it till we were blue in the face, wasn't really changing anything statistically. So I thought that if I could get together a community of women to share their black books, their tips, their tricks, their resources, and then educate them on areas within their work that they needed assistance with, that that was the quickest way to get more women being successful. So now we've grown to about 12,000 members. We just mm. launched the 10th house, which is a paid membership aspect of the program because we want to go deeper on connecting women, on getting them access to capital and matchmaking to other women who are in their same size and stage. And so it's been very helpful for tons of founders. And it's also a seal that anyone can put on you know, their email or their window mm-hmm. or their website to denote they're part of it so that consumers can hopefully begin to recognize it and go, oh, that's a woman. You know, I'm going to walk five blocks further. I'm not going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to go to Mary's Coffee. Right. And it's the little things that people can do to, to support women. That's awesome. You know, Delia went, I think she was still in college and she came up with the idea to create an app that would connect people in the fashion industry to one another because she was coming from the outside and struggling to make some connections and things. And somebody told her, don't, it's not going to work because the people in the fashion industry are already connected to each other and they don't really want anybody else 
they don't want to be connected to other people. They already have their people. So to me, that's kind of what you have done is open it up to, and not just the fashion industry, obviously, but I think it's just such a smart thing that you've done, such a helpful thing. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think that I have to hope that women will do things differently. Sometimes they won't, Mm -hmm. but I have to hope that they'll be thinking about future generations and thinking about them differently in ways that, you know, are beneficial to everybody. Mm-hmm. I have been binge listening to your podcast, Super Women. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. And I mm-hmm. love one of the markers of success. People define success in so many different ways, but you say is resilience, which I think is a really great way to define success and a healthy way too. Yeah, I, I feel like success, again, I think, you know, we've all been marketed to, you know, it's just money and fame. Um, mm-hmm. but I think you achieve success by having resilience, by bouncing back. I think there's no struggle in anything you do. And if you don't have that resilience, it's going to be a rough ride. One way or another, one day or another. Absolutely. We were very excited to attend the fabulous presentation during your fashion week. And you did a really interesting thing where you sold some digital images in the form of NFTs that some photographers had taken. So let's talk about that decision. Do you think you're going to continue working with NFTs? Yeah. So that decision really came about because we always are pushing the boundaries of technology and fashion. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was the next natural progression. So we did two different NFTs. We did one where it was a 2D image shot by a legendary photographer. And the proceeds from those images go actually to a grant for female founders in New York city. And then we did digital merchandise. So really taking a real garment, making it available and for sale in the digital world, which is very popular for people that are into gaming or just collecting. And that collection sold out. We sold over 400 items in nine minutes, which was crazy to us because here people are buying these digital items that only exist not in the real world and so for us we're we're definitely doubling down we said well should we even bother making clothing anymore exactly (laughs) we'll definitely be staying on the pulse of this and have big plans to go deeper next season as well it's over my head but it is amazing how it's taken off and what you have done jumping right in like that what are your thoughts on the metaverse and the future of the fashion industry So I think that the metaverse is an opportunity for brands to have the ability to advertise and be seen differently because it is not the real world that a brand can be something else, have another value to the consumer. If you could just imagine, you know, let's just say Supreme, could they be, you know, yes, they're going to, people are going to want to be dressed in Supreme in the metaverse, but they also might want to drink Supreme water or have, you know, a Supreme hamburger, who knows? And so I think that the, the brand extensions that can exist in the metaverse are ripe for opportunity, Mm -hmm. but I also think it gives brands the opportunity to begin to have the real world and, and the metaverse connect in terms of, you know, when you buy the digital garment, you know, the real thing arrives at your house or, you know, you attend a concert in the metaverse, but then you get the, you know, limited edition C and I was going to say CD, whatever, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever form of music you listen to. And so I yeah. think that there's ways to just 
connect those two worlds, which I think are going to become increasingly valuable as, mm. you know, the world has become flat. Anyone can get anything anywhere. So the more mm-hmm. you can make these experiences special and unique, I think consumers are going to like that. Mm. That's very interesting. And then you have a deeper relationship with the brand. Yeah. And I mean, 80% of the people that are in the gaming are women. So, wow, it, you know, we need to make sure that as women we're we're there showing up for them and it doesn't just become this male dominated field yeah. where men are dressing women in these exactly. slutty outfits all the time. Yeah. <laughs> A great way to start to get into the metaverse and digest all of this is that digital physical component for sure. That is where we're headed. So congratulations. Such big congratulations on your brand's 20th anniversary. What are some of the top lessons that you have learned while starting, running, and growing your eponymous lifestyle brand? Some of the lessons I've learned that you need to go with your gut. I think sometimes we question that too much or we doubt ourselves. And I think if I've learned anything, it's anytime I really had like a bad feeling about something, I was right. You know, you need to surround yourself if you are growing your team with with generals, I call them. You know, like people can actually get the work done. Mm -hmm. I'm done with the people that are, well, I'm really trying. I'm trying so hard. (laughs) No, you get a paycheck. That's my money I'm giving you. You better work and make my job easier and make someone else on your team's job easier. Otherwise, you don't get to stay. And so I went from a leader that was very like mommy homemaker come crown my shoulder to like, no, we're out here to get a job done. You get to show up every day with money. I'm paying you. So there needs to be a return on that investment. And so I think that viewpoint has shifted how I lead not to be not empathetic or understanding, but also to not feel bad about something when you're like, wait, we pay you. So many times someone is not doing what they should be doing. And then as women, we feel bad having to correct them, which is just awful. And also, I think I I heard somebody saying that in business, think of your company as a team rather than as a family sometimes. Oh, you Um, have to think of it as a team, because if you think about it as family, you make exceptions for people that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And to be comfortable saying it you know, exactly not be perceived as a bitch because that's the way companies that are led by men have always been run. And no one thinks they're being a bitch or that they're on their period. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I did have an employee ask me that one day when I was being pretty tough. I was like, excuse me, what? No, you're not doing your job. I'm not on my period. (laughs) Exactly. Don't put that on me. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this is about tech. And I, working with my daughter, uh, she has a lot of patience with me. I'm trying very hard, but tech is, you know, is difficult for people my age and older. And I know almost from the get-go, you have, like you said, have really gone to the new frontier over and over again, bringing tech and mixing it with fashion. And tell us a little bit about that. And did it, like your brother had a part in that, right? For sure. I mean, in the way that I can tell you what's going to trend next summer in apparel, he definitely has always been on the pulse of technology and what's going to be happening. And I've learned a lot from him in that, you know, now I can spot it. I know what to look for. So for the NFTs, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, that was me starting to just see patterns and see what was happening and saying, let's do this. Or when we partnered with OnlyFans, you know, I could see that creators were going over to OnlyFans to create. So 
you know, in the beginning for sure, where it was our store of the future or our wearables, like he was, he was leading and spearheading those things. And, and then because of that, you know, the inbound opportunities of people coming to us made our lives easier in that we didn't have to go out and seek it. We could see, okay, this is what's happening. And this is where we think stuff is going. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. People thought right. we were nuts when we had drones uh-huh. um, at our <laughs> runway show. And now drones are everywhere and being used for all sorts of creative products. But back then they were like, why does she have a drone in her runway? That's so stupid. Yeah. So much to keep up with, you know, like, like you said, looking down the road, but I guess that's in today's world. That's what you have to do looking down the road and then deciding what seems to be a good fit for your brand and kind of diving deep into that. Yeah. And you can't be a goldfish and like turn it every shining thing. And I think we've Uh, gotten a lot better at that, you know, like let's uh pick, let's pick one or two things and do it really well. You know, we don't have to say yes to everything all the time. And it's hard, you know, I I'm part of this judging committee that judges female founded tech companies and their new products. And every time I see their presentation, I'm like, Oh, we got to do all this, you know? (laughs) And then my brother's like, hold on, you know, we got to try one at a time and see if it works. And and so I think that you have to be somewhat of an editor as well in this process. Otherwise you'd go crazy. So we love a family business and it's really Mm -hmm. nice that you and Yuri work together, your brother. So how has that been? You know, I think as with any partnership, uh, there's good and bad. I think with any familial partnership, which maybe you guys experience, mm-hmm. sometimes there's rough patches where you can go places with someone that you'd never go with a colleague who you didn't grow up with and knows all the buttons that you get to push. <laughs> so we for sure, we for sure have had rough patches times where we didn't, I think the longest stretch we went, cause we we're both really stubborn is we didn't speak to each other for nine months. We did yeah, speak wow. to each other. I mean, we made business decisions and in front of everybody, we were sure. fine, but we weren't speaking to each other once we were alone. And we decided eventually, obviously that's not tenable. And so we got almost like a business couples counselor ah. to really hear both sides, have us discuss what we're angry, you know, upset about how the other bit, you know, treating. And so that's been really helpful. So I recommend not finding like a mental health counselor, but like a business coach sure. who can actually help discuss the different needs that people have. And even, even down to stuff like I'm a woman and I had a baby and my priorities shifted and he, you know, and not that all men are like this. He never changed. He wanted to work till all hours of the night. He was like, you're leaving early. And I was like, I have a baby at home. I'm going home. And we even had to talk about that. And and those are differences you just assume won't come up because you're like, my brother is a supporter of women, but like, yeah, exactly. But you have to work through those issues sometimes. Uh, Yeah. I think the biggest, well, besides the tech, I think one big thing with Delia and me is sometimes I'm like, I have to take a nap. I'm almost 60. I have to take a break. She can work 24 seven, you know, it really bothered her for a while. And then I think finally she started realizing I do better job after taking a break sometimes. Yeah. You know, those things you just kind of have to shift. And also sometimes she's had to take on more. I don't do as well at multitasking, you know, just like you said, you kind of have to, and as life changes. When the baby came, you had to say, okay, this affects the company too. And it affects our relationship as brother and sister. And it affects 
everything. And then you figure out your new path forward and adjust. There's some great things about it too, though. Don't you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't go and say that anyone can trust their siblings because I'm sure there's been a lot of partnerships that were screwed over. But I know with my eyes closed that I can trust any decision that he makes. Uh, Not that I would ever do this again, but when we sold a piece of the company back in 2012, like he handled my employment agreement, he handled everything. And I'm much wiser now and I'll do it on the next round. But mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you just, you know, look yeah. it over. Let me know if you think it's good. <laughs> okay. Now we're getting to the point where this is, I don't even know how you're going to, oh, wait, first, before we talk about that, tell us about the diaper. Maybe that was your podcast I was listening to, that you were telling somebody about it. Either you were on one or I was listening to yours yesterday and you were talking about the collaboration with the diaper bag. Yeah. So I had... I guess it was almost two years ago. I was still pumping and breastfeeding my now three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I re- I reached out to Mandela and I said, I love your products, but your pumping bag, it sucks. Would you <laughs> ever want to do a collaboration? And they were really excited. So we designed this bag and we came out with it, I guess, before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no. Maybe during the pandemic. And it was really successful and people loved it. And it wasn't just a pumping bag. It's a bag that you can take to the gym after, or it's a Mm -hmm. great diaper bag. Yeah. Um, But I just wanted the inside to be like everything I always was missing in any one of my many diaper bags or pumping bags. So then they came back and said, Hey, would you ever curate, you know, a bundle so you can buy the bag and get all your favorite must haves with it. So that's what we launched and there's two different bundles. There's two different pumps. I'm a big advocate for breastfeeding and nursing and the pumping yeah. is what allowed me to do it because I traveled yeah. so much when they were little. Yeah. I remember being in Korea and I had like an entire, I don't know, 40 bags of milk. Cause I'd been there for so long. Oh my and God. I went, I went to go through security. They're like, Nope, you can't take this with you. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, I'm taking it with me. And they were like, <laughs> no, you won't get on the plane. And then I remember I was frantically like going around the outside of the airport to find ice in a box. And this woman taped the box. Like with, we just put ice in a box with bags. And I was like, I, I hope this makes it. And it did. Wow. Wow. um, Yeah. So my journey and commitment to that has been very strong. So I was excited to partner with them. Yeah. That's great. It's so limiting to not be able to, you know, be mobile. I mean, you know, to be able to be out and about. So now tell us some of the highlights of your career? The highlights. (laughs) Well, I would say the fashion show that we did where we closed down Green Street was definitely a highlight. There was an energy there of, you know, 5,000 people being a part of this, Mm. you know, something that had never happened before. No one had yet done a show for the public, a fashion show for the public. So that was incredible, all of it. It was so much work, but so incredible. I would say when we opened our first store, that felt surreal. We don't have it anymore, sadly, but we had a store on Green Street. I think just getting to travel, you know, like I've been to so many different countries. Those are all been huge highlights for me. I feel like too, I've wondered what it would be like, you know, the bag, the iconic bag. What is it called? The morning after bag? Yeah. What that would be like, like, Delia still has hers, and I think it's from high school. And my yeah. niece 
who just went to college, you know, she's like, Oh, I just want that bag so badly. What is it like to know? Like, that's such a, I mean, that bag needs to be in the Smithsonian or something. It's just like every single girl has that bag. Yes. It was it definitely, and, uh, and, you know, just be like, I made that I've designed that. You know, it was really exciting because it felt like it hit at a moment where sex in the city was the rage. People wanted a, an it bag, but they didn't want something that was so iconic that it would be, ew, she's wearing that bag after three months. And I think my bag was classic enough to sort of be able to have that longevity, but still be with the times. And so I guess another highlight for me is whenever I meet a customer, I always get a story. You know, I first got your bag when I, and then you get to fill in the blank, whether it's college, graduation, first job, second job, promotion, divorce, marriage, you know, like all the things. And I just love hearing those stories from women. Yes. And also as a wardrobe stylist, I know the power of a piece that you wear how it makes you feel certain things, you know, and if it is after a divorce and they have that bag and they hold their shoulders up and they go out into the world and they, they know that you're all about female. Um, I'm, I don't always love female empowerment, but you know, being strong and being fearless and everything. And that is a, like a physical representation of that to me. Oh yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about designing the bag and coming from home Depot and everything? Sure. Um, you know, when I designed the bag, I didn't, it's not like today where you go online and you can order things. Oh, people didn't have websites. They didn't have e-commerce. There were catalogs that you could do a mail order from. And I had two weeks to get this bag made. And so I went to home Depot and I was like, they have dog hooks. I've seen them there before. Um, and that's where I purchased them. And then I, and then when I started getting more and more orders quicker than I imagined, I couldn't wait for the mail order. Like, Mm -hmm. let me mail in my order and then you'll mail me the stuff back. It sounds so Mm -hmm. archaic. Uh, so I just kept going to home depots and I would clean them out wherever I went just so that I always (laughs) had a supply of of those dog hooks. I love it. I love that story. I know it's amazing. You do with what you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you stay on top of all of these trends and also know exactly what your customer is going to want in six plus months? I think between me and my team, we're always looking, seeing, absorbing. And I think when you're doing that, you begin to see patterns and and you begin to see where things are going, where culture is going. So I think it's, it's important to not only see what's happening within fashion, but outside of fashion as well. Mm -hmm. So important. Even the textiles that are coming out, you know, when you look at those and that kind of gives you an idea of what you'll be seeing coming down the pipe. But that's always been so fascinating to me. It's like trend forecasting, not even, you know, before they're even a trend, how do you even know that that's something that's caught on? It's, I think it's fascinating, but really hard to actually do. But I think if you're in it and you're living it, I wouldn't say it's easy, but if you're looking constantly, I think you get used to it. That makes sense. Well, I'm always fascinated about, well, then I can ask you, what is coming next? I mean, do you think people are going to be, I I noticed that a lot of people for spring are doing pantsuits again and stuff like that. It's like they went all the way to super casual and they're already now, you know, posting all these women in pantsuits again and everything like going back to work. They're really doing true workwear again. It's just pivoting and pivoting and pivoting. And I'm trying to figure out where, you know, what it it will look like say by next fall when it settles down. 
I don't think it gets going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. I think people are definitely craving exaggerated, you know, things. Uh, mm-hmm. My head designer was just in Milan for a leather show and he said, everything is embellished. It's crystals, it's studs, oh, it's wow. to the max. So I think you're going to see, it's funny, you know, we didn't obviously know about the pandemic in 1918 until it <laughs> ours just happened, but now you go, oh, that's why the roaring twenties occurred. You know, I think you're going to see that. That leather jacket of yours, the, the Isle of New York on the back, uh, you know, just something like that. It's just so much fun to wear. I mean, how much fun to wear that? Oh you know? yeah. Yeah, totally. Ah, love it so much. What inspires you? I think different things. Usually it's travel. And since that can't happen right now, very, Mm -hmm. very easily. It's again, the customers that I get to meet, you know, Mm -hmm. I did do kind of a mini book tour. So I did get to meet a lot of my girls, uh, which was awesome. What other artists are doing, what other designers are doing is inspiring. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's just music. A good song can get me in a creative vibe. Okay, now we really have to talk about the book. I was just, this morning I was working, I have an author who's a client setting up the looks for her book tour and it's all over the place. I'm like, how in the world do people do this? But she was so excited to finally get to have a book tour because she missed her girl so much. She missed her people and she missed going to the bookstores too in South Carolina or in Pennsylvania or wherever she was going. So let's talk about the book because we really are so excited about the book. You've told us about it, but where can people get it and things like that? So you can get it at Target. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold, they have them for sure. If you want to support indie bookstores, you know, you can go to Books A Million and, and see a list of indie bookstores that have it. And Audible and Kindle. Yeah. So if you oh, want to yeah. listen to me, I read it. They were like, do you want someone else to read it? I said, hell no. Why in the world? I don't, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to another woman reading my story. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so like? it's on Audible. Reading it? Uh-huh. Oh, it was exhausting. I did it over the course of a week. Okay. I did it about four hours a day. I mean, I think because I have a podcast, I'm used to talking Oh yeah. on, you know, but it was definitely like, I felt a little bit more pressure. Like someone's going to be listening to that, you know, let me make yeah. sure, let me make sure I sound good. So I had my tea, yeah, right. you know, all the things. So Rebecca, what do you think about live stream shopping? I've been hosting with shop shops. I know you've done an event with them and Instagram and all these different platforms are, starting to focus on this. What are your thoughts? I think it's going to be the future. The U.S. is still way far behind the experience. And I know Shop Shops is doing a great job trying to push it forward. So it's mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna to come here. All of a sudden, it's going to be like, you know, TikTok was everywhere, but they'd been in China for how many years? And so I think it's coming. Mm. And it'll be fast and furious. And those that are Earlier adopters are understand it are going to be in a much better position. But if we are going to be doing a bulk of our shopping at home, why wouldn't you want to look at someone and see them trying it on and ask questions, you know, and I think these personalities can become, you know, if you look at even QVC, they have these loyal oh, yeah. followings of people that are just obsessed with the host and buy whatever they say. Yeah. Delia yeah. has all these little friends now and they're so cute that come every time and they're wonderful. They're so sweet. And they all talk to each other on there on the event. You know, it's a fascinating thing. They like text each other. They're like, oh, so-and-so you're going to love this. <laughs> it's so yeah, fascinating. Totally. Are you doing the rent model on your site now? 
Yeah, we we instituted something called a borrow button. So it's okay. a little bit different than rental because uh-huh. I think we wanted to be able to give a bit more optionality to people if they want to borrow it that's for a couple of days. If they want to hold on to it, if they end up keeping it, they get it at a discount. And so there's obviously the, the go to rent the runway for all that. But if there's something that they don't offer, then how do you take advantage of that? So we thought we could be. Oh, yeah. No, no. I think great- it's totally different. I spent a lot of time in Birmingham, Alabama, where do you grew up, where I lived. And there's a store that is the only store here that is, you know, a sustainably focused store. And they said in the South, the people that want to buy sustainably sourced and made clothes are the younger people and they can't afford it for the most part. So she has an area in the back. People can return the clothes that they were able to afford and they've worn a couple of times and get new clothes. And then the younger people can come into that specific store and get the pieces that otherwise they wouldn't be able to buy. So to me, it's like, let's say it's someone younger and they loved that jacket of yours and they're not going to go to rent the runway and put in, you know, I love New York leather jacket. Rebecca Minkoff, they're going to go to your site specifically because they want your pieces. They're not just saying I'm going to a wedding. So you know, I've got to see if I can find a dress to rent for the weekend. For sure. I think you're, we're already capturing a certain customer. And so it just makes it easy for her to know that she can borrow from us directly and doesn't have to be part of an ongoing program somewhere. There's no, you know, there's no commitment. Right. And if all she wants is your things, there are going to be some things that aren't on the other rental platforms anyway. The same with wholesale. As a stylist, I love your price point. It's an aspirational price point, but it is not so high that you can only have one thing. You know, you have to save up for months to be able to buy one piece by Rebecca Minkoff. So I really appreciate that. It's very hard to find your price point in quality goods. During the 2008 crisis, financial crisis, I think that caused you to change up your price point a bit, which actually was obviously very challenging, but it set your business on a completely different trajectory and probably also prepared you maybe for this pandemic. Oh. I mean, it definitely at the time was the hardest thing we'd ever done to lower our prices in the way that we were told we needed to, or else the stores wouldn't take us on. And it was a, a reverse engineering of our supply chain and orders and, you know, how much you buy, what risk do you take? So mm. that was really hard. And we thought the payoff would be immediate. And then it wasn't, which was even scarier. We thought, oh yeah, she'll notice that we dropped our prices by over a hundred dollars and she didn't for three months. So that was very <laughs> scary. Right. I think when it came to preparing us for the pandemic, I think we could have never been prepared. If someone said, hey, you're going to lose 70% of your business, figure it out how to stay in business. I don't think right. any anyone could have ever prepared us. But I think as entrepreneurs, we've been through a lot of hard times that just gets you stronger at dealing with hard shit. And we're so excited to be able to support your business and that you are also working to make sure women are supporting other women and doing what we can, no matter what life throws at us. Well, I feel so grateful because my customer did not have to buy any bags last year and she did. So if you're yes. a customer and you bought last year, thank you. Yeah. sent yes. out about 4,000 copies of my book to all the people that were my like big 
big oh. proponents and supporters last year just as a thank you because I yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't be here when you'd know where to go and you're like, I'm still buying a bag. So absolutely. And the other day we had a good time. One of Delia's friends who works in finance in New York, she was turning 30. And instead of just going to the club, she wanted to have her friends have something to take away from the night. So she invited us to come and speak. And I spoke to them about, you know, building a core wardrobe, living in the city. I had some of your bags and some of your pieces with me as examples of what to wear. And then, I, you know, we sent out an email afterwards with links to a bunch of the things that we showed them. It's just such a go-to brand for me with my clients. And it's a large, from young professionals to people older than me, the brand resonates. Yeah, well, that's what I'm really proud of is that it's not just a brand for 18-year-olds or 25-year-olds or 40-year-olds. Like, we have such a broad range that appeals to different women. And that makes me really happy because then you're making a lot of people happy. A lot of brands just, uh, you know, make women that age feel invisible and you don't do that. So I thank you for that. And we are so honored to have had you on today. And we're very excited to tell about your book and Delia will explain how they can get the book and all that good stuff and where they can find you. Yes. I mean, we have everything in the show notes. We'll do a shoppable blog post. We'll post about it on social, etc. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for being on the Style That Binds Us podcast. Thank you for having me, ladies. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.